Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Tonight on The Readout. If we're mourning every, anything this morning, it is the loss of democracy. Under this tyranny... Elected officials can be removed simply for political purposes and by a whim of the governor. And no matter how you feel about me, you should not be okay with that. Monique Worrell was elected state attorney by the voters of Florida. Now Ron DeSantis is using his authoritarian powers to remove her from office, basically because he can. State attorney Worrell will join me tonight. Also, new details on a possible fourth indictment against Donald Trump in Georgia, which could come in a matter of days. What Fonnie Willis could charge him with, plus who his co-defendants might be. And another big win for democracy, a proposed constitutional change in Ohio meant to thwart the will of the public on abortion and other major issues, loses by a mile. And clearly, clearly, we have a lot to get to tonight, as you can see. But we begin with an alarming, genuinely frightening news, uh, flight, frightening item of news regarding violent threats against the president of the United States, Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris and other elected officials. Threats that appear to be tied to Donald Trump's mounting legal peril. The threats came from a Utah man named Craig D. Robertson who will not get to plead his case in court because he was shot and killed today by the FBI as they were attempting to execute an arrest warrant. But what he did to earn that arrest warrant is chilling. On Monday, Robertson posted about President Biden's trip to Utah, which took place today. He po- the posts included a thinly veiled threat of assassination. And it was far from an isolated incident by Robertson. According to charging documents, the FBI had been investigating him since March for numerous violent threats against the president, Vice President Harris, Attorney General Merrick Garland, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, New York State Attorney General Letitia James, as well as the investigating FBI agents. Some of the threats were very graphic, and multiple posts included pictures of his various weapons, as well as what's called a ghillie suit that enables soldiers to camouflage themselves in the grass. Robertson, who was 75, described himself in his post as a MAGA Trumper and even pointed out in some of the posts that the prosecutors and AGs he was verbally attacking are prosecuting Trump. It is chilling stuff, but not surprising, because when it comes to the use of violence to defend Trump, we've seen with our own eyes that that is a real thing and even a go to for Trump's most militant supporters, many of whom are sitting in prison right now for attacking the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Last week's indictment against Trump for his attempts to overturn the 2020 election made it clear that he tried to take advantage of the January 6th violence to further those efforts. In fact, one of his co-conspirators ominously proposed, maybe invoking the Insurrection Act, to sick U.S. troops and armed militias on American citizens. And we know that extremist groups like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys were not only willing to commit violence for Trump, 
They were waiting for Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act so that they could be his militias. While the threat from these groups has seemed to die down after all the January 6th prosecutions, many national security analysts say the threat that keeps them up at night nowadays is the threat from lone actors like this guy in Utah. A new analysis published this week shows that federal charges involving threats to public officials have spiked in the last year. And it's just the latest reminder that Trump and his social media posts and his rally speeches, while he can sometimes seem like a, a joke and a buffoon to many of us, he's still as dangerous as ever. Let's not forget that in June, a January 6th defendant who was arrested near former President Barack Obama's house with multiple guns and loads of ammo showed up after Trump posted a screenshot that included Obama's address, a post that the defendant reposted. Joining me now is Jim Cavanaugh, former ATF special agent in charge, MSNBC terrorism analyst and author of Murder and Passion in the Music City, and George Conway, conservative lawyer and contributor to The Washington Post. Thank you both for being here. Um, and I do want to start with you, Jim. You know, I, there is there's a lot of secu national security analysis that says that the threat from the far right has morphed from groups like the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, Boogaloo Boys, that kind of thing to this kind of individual lone actor like we saw in Utah. Is that what keeps you up at night? And when you took a look at this charging document, what were your thoughts? Well, first, Joy, I think the FBI did a good job staying on this guy since March, you know, taking it very seriously, bringing their team uh, to bear this morning. Uh, what you look at on these threats, and I've busted those up before with my agents before, busted one up against uh, uh, President-elect Obama years ago by neo-Nazis right here in Tennessee, and they were going to kill uh, him, try to kill him with rifles like this and shoot uh, 88 black children in a school. Back then, people didn't believe someone would shoot children in the school, but we've since seen that they will, uh, and we believe they would have. But anyway, uh, he had the ability with the weapons. He had the desire, which he stated clearly, he wanted to kill the president, the vice president, the attorney general, and the DA Bragg. And with the president going to Utah, he had the opportunity, ability, desire, and opportunity. You have to act. And so the FBI had to act, and they acted this morning. Uh, most likely, I don't know exactly, they haven't released everything, but, you know, I was a special agent in charge. I held it, ran divisions. This is what we would do in a case like this, Joy. We'd send in our SWAT team. FBI SWAT team from the Salt Lake Division most likely was deployed at 6.15 a.m. and probably called him on the phone or called him on a hailer and said, you know, we have a search warrant. We're FBI. You need to come out. And he may have, you know, stuck his gun out the window and, uh, they shot him, uh, one of their long riflemen probably. Or it could have been a flashbang deployed and then they shot him. But nevertheless, witnesses say they heard two loud, large bangs. So there wasn't a lot, a big, lengthy confrontation. And, uh, you know, he had already told the agents, you know, if you, if you want to talk to me again, you know, bring a warrant. So he's being uh, threatening the agents. He's being forceful against the agents and the government. He's an anti-government crackpot. And we dealt with many of them. They're armed to the teeth. They want to fight it out. They want to die. They want to, you know, espouse all this crazy stuff. And, you know, it's sad. But the goal for the agents is just to arrest him. And unfortunately, he resisted with violence by either pointing the rifle or shooting at them. And they had to respond because they don't need to be killed doing their duty. Mm -hmm. Let me 
just read you, Jim, real quick um, what The New York Times wrote in a piece called Trump supporters, violent rhetoric in his defense disturbs experts. This is the quote. Experts on political violence warn that attacks against people or institutions become more likely when elected officials or prominent media figures are able to issue threats or calls for violence with impunity. And even if aggressive language by high profile individuals does not directly end in physical harm, it creates a dangerous atmosphere in which the idea of violence becomes more accepted, especially if such rhetoric is left unchecked. And we know you were very much intimately involved in the Waco situation in the 90s, in which there was a lot of heated rhetoric about Bill Clinton, about gun confiscation and threats that guns would be taken, that kind of thing. How does the atmosphere now and Trump's rhetoric and his allies' rhetoric compare to that kind of an atmosphere back then? Well, you're exactly right, Joy. For years, this rhetoric was the lunatic fringe. You know, just after the civil rights era ended, we had a very heavy lunatic fringe. You know, the Birmingham bombing, killing the four little girls, you know, Bull Connor, killing civil rights workers and uh, people trying to register voters in Mississippi, Medgar Evers. We could go on and on about all that violence. And that talk was permeated to society. But after all that, that stuff was died down and everybody pushed it back. It was the lunatic fringe talk like that. And our politicians, you know, were against that. You know, we've heard many comments from you know, uh, Republican leaders over the years that said no. Uh, uh, Bush 43 after the 9-11 attack when he stood up for the Muslim community. But, you know, we pushed the lunatic fringe talk to the corner where it belonged. When you support that, if you're any politician, either side of the aisle, who supports violent rhetoric, you know, against government employees, federal officers. You know, years ago, the, the NRA took out a, an ad in the Washington Post against ATF and said they're right. jackbooted thugs. And that yeah. gives people a license to shoot. Do work. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let, that part and that has existed, uh, George. You know, it's a good point uh, that Jim makes. I mean, there was the Dixiecrats uh, during sure. the uh, during the Megar Evers era, it's now migrated from the Democratic Party into the Republican Party. Let me just play some Trump voters recently in New Hampshire. And this is New Hampshire, not even in Dixie. Take a listen. That's Nazi Germany Hitler. You can't silence your political opponents because you don't agree with them. Joe Biden should be in prison for his bribes. The vote was stolen. I believe it. In my heart, remember, they blew up one of the uh, election quarters where they kept all of the Dominion machines. Why'd that blow up? If Donald Trump were to be found guilty by a jury, <laughs> where, where, where do you see this going? Uh, civil war. Civil war. Divide it up, because we can't live together, obviously. And if he wants me to protect them, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to let him know that I'll do it. It's easy to say, well, those are, you know, some senior citizens, but this guy was 75 in Utah. Right. And all it takes is one man with one gun on one incident and you kill a few people. And that's that's what's the scary. That's the scary aspect of it. And Donald Trump creates a permission structure that these people would not otherwise have to do this. He basically endorses this. He encourages it. He engages in what social scientists call paralipsis, which is the use of words that have two meanings. That's what he told people on January 6th. Let's fight. You need to fight for your country. Mm -hmm. He uses apocalyptic rhetoric. People will be very upset. He's encouraging the violence and then saying, well, I didn't mean that literally. Right. But they know what he means. And that sort of thing actually empowers these people, these people who think that they're, you know, they feel put upon and that they're helpless. And they really are because they're not very smart and they're, they're very isolated. 
but he empowers them. Yeah. He makes them part of an army. And that is exceedingly dangerous. Uh, in this uh, indictment, uh, this gentleman who his spelling was quite poor, but he seemed to feel like he understood the First Amendment uh, and said that he can post these death threats and come and get me, right. you know, basically was his attitude toward the FBI. This is my free speech rights. He sounded right. like Donald Trump. Right. How do you, if that is so embedded in somebody so far from power, how can the party eradicate this if none of the leaders are willing to really say anything about it? I can't imagine a Republican leader today saying you shouldn't be threatening the president of the United right. States. Right, I and mean, they won't do it because they themselves fear these people. I mean, remember, Lindsey Graham said a few words back in January of 2021 mm. that were not exactly favorable to Donald Trump, and he was accosted at airports. These yeah. people are afraid. Liz Cheney, while she was still in Congress, had to go around with a security guard, yeah. uh, uh, with a security team that she paid. I think she paid out of it with, with her own money yeah. all around Wyoming. I mean, the Republicans are not just intimidated. Republican um, politicians are not just intimidated by voters at the ballot box, but they are intimidated by these people who they know have weapons. Is there anyone with the moral authority to talk the Republican Party writ large, the voters down? No, there's no. I mean, I don't think so at this point. I don't think I think anyone who crosses Trump, who contradicts him is 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 then castigated and 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 treated as, oh, he's just another liberal. He's, a, he's, yeah. he's, he's pro-Biden. I mean, everything's black and white in that regard. And, it, and it's terrifying. It, it is terrifying. Uh, Jim Cavanaugh, George Conway, thank you both. Thank you, thank you both. Uh, somebody we're going to figure this out, I hope. Uh, up next on the readout, Trump lashes out at Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis, spreading vile, unfounded rumors as she prepares to potentially announce indictments as early as next week. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, who is investigating Donald Trump's alleged efforts to overturn his election loss in Georgia, is expected to present her case to a grand jury next week. So, of course, Trump is lashing out at her as his fourth indictment looms. They say there's a young woman, uh, a young racist in Atlanta, say racist. And they say, I guess they say that she was after a certain gang and she ended up having an affair with the head of the gang or a gang member. And this is a person that wants to indict me. She's got a lot of problems, but she wants to indict me to try and run for some other office. Okay. Okay. So, so all of that was bogus and completely untrue. But let, let's just pause on the part where he accuses Willis of having an affair with a gang member. Why would he think that or say that? And why would he put that baseless claim in a campaign ad released last week? 
Biden's newest lackey, Atlanta DA, Fonnie Willis. So corrupt, Willis got caught hiding a relationship with a gang member she was prosecuting. Again, bogus, baseless, and completely untrue. Moments ago, NBC obtained an email sent from Fonnie Willis to her staff responding to the Trump ad. She slammed the ad as derogatory and false and urges her staff to remain focused. The ad tries to add legitimacy to the claim by sourcing a Rolling Stone article from January, written by music and culture writer Andre G. Here's the article, which talks about how Fonnie Willis, back in 2019, served as defense attorney to an Atlanta-based rapper named YSL Mondo. Now, here's the context. Mondo is a co-founder of the rap group YSL Crew, whose most famous member is rapper Young Thug, who now prosecutor Fonnie Willis has indicted, along with multiple members of the YSL Crew, in a sweeping RICO case that alleges that they are not a rap crew. They are a gang. See where this is going? And note again that Willis was not Mondo's prosecutor at the time, as the Trump ad claims. She was his defense lawyer. The Rolling Stone piece does not in any way say or even suggest that the two had a relationship outside of their professional one. Meaning Trump is doing what Trump does, taking a fragment of something that is true, that Bonnie Willis knows YSL Mondo, and twisting it into a perverse false claim in order to defame and discredit her in a way that is particular to her being a woman. And a black woman at that. And with Trump, it's rarely clear whether he actually believes the lies he tells, since history has shown us that he'll believe anyone who confirms his silly putty logic and tells him what he wants to hear. And in this case, Trump isn't the only one peddling this false claim about Fonnie Willis. A Trump supporting, not so respectful of women, hip hop podcaster named DJ Academics has a role in spreading this lie as well. He promoted the claim on ex-Twitter today. Here he is with Trump at a UFC fight in April. Now, we on the show are not saying DJ Academics is who played the John Eastman, Rudy Giuliani role in this lie that Trump has adopted. I'm just saying with Trump, any bad source is possible. Joining me now is Paul Butler, MSNBC legal analyst and a former federal prosecutor, and the aforementioned Andre G, staff writer, for Rolling Stone. Before I get to you, Andre, I mean, for one second, I just have to ask you, Paul, because I asked you off camera, I want to ask you on camera. That is a lie that Donald Trump is telling, and he told it in an ad. Fonnie Willis is a public figure. I know it's usually hard for a public figure to sue for defamation, but could she? It's a really high standard. Ironically, it's conservatives who are trying to lower the bar. But this is an outrageous lie. It actually could get D.A. Willis disbarred. It's unethical to have a relationship with a client, but it didn't happen. It's just another one of his racist dog whistles, just like he called D.A. Alvin Bragg an animal. Racist is his insult of choice for black prosecutors. He called D.A. Bragg and also Letitia James, the Mm -hmm. New York State Attorney General, racist as well, when we all know who the real racist is. Yeah, flipping that word on its head. Oh, Andre, welcome to the show. So your article uh, is what Donald Trump is using kind of as the basis for this claim. You wrote about yes. the relationship uh, such as it was between Fonnie Willis and YSL Mondo. What was that relationship? Yeah, so Miss um, Willis, she represented um, Mondo during a 2019 um, aggravated assault case, during a brief stint where she, a brief um, break from her prosecutorial career where she had her own practice. And uh, yeah, she represented him. She was her, uh, was his defense attorney 
But yeah, I want to be clear, like at no point during our conversation or in my report did he imply that there was anything romantic that went on between them. He said that they had um, like a mother, son, auntie and nephew um, kind of relationship at points like she was a, a mentor figure. She, you know, would give him advice, I guess, to keep him on the right track, so to speak, here and there. But again, there was no implication of anything unethical um, during their relationship, their professional relationship. And, and there's even like a piece to your story where he she kind of warns him, you know, stay on the right path, because, you know, if I go back to be the prosecutor, I'm gonna come for you, like trying to tell him don't get in trouble. So it's like, yeah, this is like a auntie kind of relationship. But to imply that it's some sort of sexual relationship seems really bizarre. But really to stay with you for a second, Andre, th this is not the only kind of hip hop connection to Georgia's to Florida, to the Georgia connection to Donald Trump's try to, attempts to overturn the election. I mean, at one point, Kanye West's publicist is who is going after uh, these two black women who are doing nothing other than being good citizens and attempting to, you know, be Georgia election workers, um, for which there's now a lawsuit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, in late 2021, um, um, there were, like you said, there were two women who, uh, Ruby Freeman was one of the women who alleged that, um, Kanye West publicist came to her house and accused her of electoral misconduct and, uh, basically tried to pressure her into admitting that she committed election fraud. Um, but in December, 2021, a Kanye West representative told Reuters who broke the initial story that, uh, the publicist was no longer working or wasn't working for Kanye at the time that she did it or that she um, visited Ms. Freeman. The, the thing that is so sort of bizarre, Paul, is number one, Donald Trump seems like he'll believe anyone who tells him what he wants to hear, right? So when Cheeseboro, this guy Cheeseboro tells him, hey, you know what, you can just have different electors. He's like, good, I love it. You know, Giuliani says, hey, you can just say Venezuela, somebody came up out of the grave, you know, you know, and or Maduro did it to you. Oh, great, I'll take that. He'll take anyone who will, you know, tell him what he wants to hear. But in this case, I have to play this for you. This is what he was actually told uh, by Brad Raffensperger, who would know uh, in Georgia about election fraud. Here it is. Well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong. Uh, we, we talked to the congressmen and they were surprised, but they, uh, I guess there was a person named Mr. Raynard that came to these meetings and presented data. And he said that there was dead people, of, I believe it was upward of 5,000. The actual number were two, two, two people that were dead that voted. And so that's wrong. That was too. And so it can't is can it be a defense for Donald Trump if he is prosecuted in Georgia that he just sincerely believed the Looney Tune lawyers who told him there was election fraud with Giuliani, who said that Ruby Freeman and her daughter were essentially dr acting like drug dealers, that he believed that he just didn't believe Brad Raffensperger, who was the state official who would have known. Uh, he could that so, a defense? Uh, he could make that defense, but the jury is unlikely to credit it. If a belief is reasonable, it's much more likely to be seen as credible by jurors. But if Trump is specifically asking the Georgia Secretary of State to find him 11,780 votes because mm -hmm. that's how much he needs to get the election overturned, that's not a search for truth. That's him trying to stay in office by any means necessary. The problem with these insults to people like Fani Wilson, there are two legal problems. Maybe they work with his political base, but a judge is likely to be concerned about 
witness intimidation and whether he's trying to infect the jury pool. And the other problem we already know, including from your first segment, when Donald Trump threatens people, violence sometimes follows. He made threats on January 6th, and then an element of his supporters tried to murder. They were looking to murder the vice president and the Speaker of the House at the Capitol. Let's play what Vonnie Willis has been uh, receiving, the incoming she's gotten since Donald Trump started talking about her. All the typical racial slurs that you can imagine, um, um, they're very uh, grotesque things. You know, we're on family television. I don't even know that I like to say all of them, but slave horror is one of them. I've probably been called the N-word more times in the last two and a half years than most 100 people combined. And I I think we might have the picture of what the courthouse looks like right now in Atlanta because of Donald Trump supporters. Uh, Talk a little bit about that. I mean, the fact that Donald Trump is targeting her and now essentially trying to call her, there it is, unethical and claiming she had a sexual relationship with a gang member, which sounds to me like some racist BS. It's racist, it's sexist, and it's classic Donald Trump. Another black woman who is not his favorite right now is Judge Chunkin. And Mm -hmm. I think that in insisting that this hearing on the protective order be this week, She's signaling her concern about what Trump may say or do. Uh, We saw the kind of protection that's around the Atlanta courthouse. Mm -hmm. Reportedly, the U.S. Marshals have had to up their security detail of Judge Chunkin as well. So, you know, they're entirely legitimate concerns about Trump running for office and Mm -hmm. being able to say some things about January 6th. But he cannot continue this pattern of threatening witnesses. If you come after me, I'll come after you. Judge Chunkin is not going to have that. At some point, Donald Trump has to live somewhat within the law and the way that the rest of us will be expected to behave. Paul Butler and Andre G. Thank you, Andre. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much uh, for all of your reporting. Thank you. That was the basis of this whole story today. By the way, a shameless plug alert. If you want to understand more about the intersection of hip-hop and politics, check out our readout blog feature, Hip Hop is Universal, at msnbc.com slash hip-hop. Jahan Jones is doing some amazing journalism there. And coming up, a big win for democracy in Ohio as voters reject Republican efforts to make it harder for them to make their voices heard. Be right back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. In Ohio, the Republican-backed effort to get voters to impose a limit on their own right to direct democracy went down in a blaze of glory, or maybe just a blaze. Democrats and Republicans joined to reject the ballot measure by a massive 14 percent margin. 
57% to 43%. Ohio, which has been written off as a reliably red state, showed just how powerful reproductive rights and democracy truly are as electoral issues. Voters told the New York Times that the campaign for issue one was disingenuous, a game, or a sneaky tactic, and that its backers were trying to pull a fast one. This sentiment was bipartisan, perhaps explaining why the outcome on Tuesday was close, even in counties that Donald Trump won by 20 points or more in 2020. Republicans have gone to great lengths to pretend that this was about giving voters power to push back on radical left, liberal, out-of-state donors. Well, that message didn't work because Republicans got millions of dollars from East Coast donors like Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, a Washington-based anti-abortion super PAC. In June, Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who, by the way, is running for the Republican U.S. Senate nomination for the chance to face off against incumbent Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown, told supporters that issue one is 100 percent about keeping a radical pro-abortion amendment out of our Constitution despite majority support for it. So just to be clear, the polling says that most Ohioans want that amendment in the Constitution. Nearly 60% of them do. But it's the rest of what he said that was a hmm moment for me. The other side prevailed. This is just one battle in a much larger war, though, because the all-out assault on Ohio is coming from the radical left. I mean, look at the tech billionaires from California and New York that funded the no campaign. And they've got other bad plans. This radical abortion amendment this November that takes away parental rights. Uh, They want to bring a minimum wage increase, a massive increase in minimum wage to Ohio that would put Ohioans out of work. And even the mayor of Cleveland said last week, he said the quiet part out loud. They want to do common sense gun reform, which means they want to disarm law abiding citizens. No, you said the choir part out loud. Did y'all hear that? All the things he just mentioned, raising the minimum wage, gun reform measures to reduce mass shootings, those tend to pull really well, even across party lines, which would explain why the Republican state Senate president predicted that lawmakers would try to pass the 60% to amend the Constitution democracy-limiting measure again, just not next year, which is when the presidential and the Ohio U.S. Senate race happen. Joining me now is Connie Schultz, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist and author of the Hopefully Yours newsletter on Substack. Uh, Great to see you. It has been quite a while, uh, Ms. Connie Schultz. Uh, And let me ask you this. First of all, congratulations to the women and really everyone in Ohio for preserving y'all's right to amend your own constitution, 111 years strong. Um, So that was a win. But I wonder... How long of a memory do you think that Ohioans have? Because that wonderful result happened a year before the Senate race and the presidential race. And I wonder if, you know, if if Democrats have thought about whether it might have been a more powerful move next year because abortion is clearly a live issue for voters. Well, Joy, first of all, hi. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Um, The Democratic Party did not drive this. This was driven by uh, two different groups that became a coalition, right? A group of physicians and then um, longstanding pro-choice organizations um, that support abortion rights. So the party really wasn't going to be able to dictate to them when this was going to be on the ballot anyway. And I don't think enough people understand that. It's one of the things I love about it. It truly was a grassroots movement. You're asking about the memory, right? When you have this moment, and you and I could speak to this in our own lives, when you suddenly realize your power, 
that you hoped you had, but you weren't sure you had, how soon do we let that go? And how quickly do we build on that? That's what I think we're talking about here. There are so many voters who are as happy as they are shocked right now that they actually prevailed. And yeah. I see that building as momentum. And let's talk about some of the other things. Frank LaRose, who wants to be the United States senator, very much so in the Republican Party from the state of right. Ohio, which is seen as a red state. But the fact that Senator Sherrod Brown exists means that it is a state that still has the, the possibility of electing a Democrat. He said to me something very interesting. He said that passing that 60 percent threshold was also about stopping the minimum wage, a minimum wage increase in the state of Ohio. It's also about stopping gun reform in the state of Ohio. These, like abortion, are issues that cross party lines, right? You put the minimum wage right. on a ballot, it normally is very powerful and drives out particularly progressive right. voters and young voters. Do right. you sort of see the synergy here that part of what Republicans are trying to do is limit democracy because they don't want any of that? They don't want people to have the power to raise their own wages any more than control their own bodies. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is LaRose screaming from the sinking ship. They're winning. They're winning on everything. They're going to do all kinds of things that we don't want, and they're probably going to be able to do it. Isn't it sad? Also, we should mention, right, Cher Brown, he's my husband. Hi, honey. This isn't about you right now. Um, <laughs> isn't it sad that workers' rights is a partisan issue? Isn't it tragic that gun safety is a partisan issue, protecting our children in the schools, protecting innocent people from being killed in their homes and on the streets. Isn't it sad that that's a partisan issue? Isn't it sad that the minimum wage, I mean, in Ohio, the minimum wage right now, I believe is $10.10. Um, isn't it sad that wanting to improve the lives of working families is considered a partisan issue? I really think we have to push back regularly on that. We aren't the ones who made it a partisan issue. We are, I mean, I, I grew up in a union family, right? I grew up understanding it in a working class family that our only power was in numbers. And that's why you supported unions, because when you organize, you're stronger, right? And we knew who was on our side and who was against us. It's always been pretty clear. We didn't make that a partisan issue. We made that an, an issue of survival and yeah. of an ability to advocate for other people. So I understand why LaRose is talking this way screaming from the raptors, as you will, uh, if you will, because he's really scared now about what this means. I mean, he was the champion of this issue one, and it has gone down. It, you know, the, we've, we've pulverized it. And I don't know how he sees a way forward for himself, but apparently he's thinking he does, or at least he's pretending he does. And he's going to try to make us the enemy as he tries to figure out how not to look so bad. And he's ignoring how many Republican and independent voters also voted against it. Yeah. There, you know, I even have some statistics here, um, Connie. Clark County, um, this is Trump County's. Clark County, um, north, northeast of Dayton, voted for Donald Trump 61 to Biden 37. The Trump margin was 24 percent. Last night, that mm -hmm. county broke evenly 50-50 with the no vote winning by a single vote. So there's that piece of it. Right. But then you look at right. how this issue did in college towns. We're talking about 70 plus percent, 75 percent in the county where Ohio State is located. So this issue lost with places where there are lots of college students, young people, and it lost and it went broke even, even in Trump country. Right. I mean, in Trump country, it isn't like you suddenly produced countless Democrats who showed up to vote there. Right. right. The Republicans know what happened there, that their own people, as they like to think of them, rejected them. 
on this. I understand why they're hyperventilating. What I, what I also understand is we can't feed into it and we can't react to it. We got to stay strong and steady because we've got this, um, you know, this abortion rights amendment on the ballot in November. It, I am, I never predict, but I'm really hopeful. And I, I want us to stay focused on that. And then, of course, we've got the presidential and Senate race in Ohio next year. And I, I am particularly interested in both of those. So I understand why nationally we're, we're repeatedly regularly now called the red state, but I want to remind people, as I wrote in my column tonight for Substat, um, I woke up in a different Ohio this morning. It's that giant. That, that, that finally, you know, kind of out of its slumber when it's poked and prodded, yeah. awakens. And I'm looking forward to introducing it to more people across the country. I will remind people I'm old enough to remember when both Ohio and Florida were swing states. Any state can be a swing state <laughs> if enough people are willing to change their mind. That is just That's the way right. it is. Connie Schultz. Thank you very much. And still ahead, Florida man Ron DeSantis turns democracy on its head again, subverting the will of the people by suspending a democratically elected state attorney because she doesn't like how she knows and follows the law. State attorney Maurice Monique Worrell joins me straight ahead. Monique Worrell. If we're mourning every, anything this morning, it is the loss of democracy. I am your duly elected state attorney for the Ninth Judicial Circuit, and nothing done by a weak dictator can change that. That was Florida State Attorney Monique Worrell reacting to her not-so-thinly-veiled, politically-motivated suspension by Ron DeSantis at a time when his presidential campaign is a dumpster fire. The latest poll in New Hampshire shows him in single digits. DeSantis suspended Worrell, the only black woman serving as a local prosecutor in Florida, for what he says is a pattern of avoiding minimum mandatory sentences for gun crimes and drug trafficking, as well as being, quote, derelict in prosecuting serious crimes by juvenile offenders. Worrell's pushing back, saying that crime in her district has actually gone down. She's also defending her prosecutorial approach of going after violent offenders while also giving some individuals a second chance. She's the second progressive prosecutor Ron DeSantis has suspended. The first was Andrew Warren after he signed a letter with other prosecutors saying they wouldn't use their offices to prosecute abortion cases. NBC News reports that last year, DeSantis actually ordered his staff to bring him the names of progressive prosecutors. State Attorney Monique, Monique Worrell joins me now. And State Attorney Worrell, thank you for being here. Do you remember your margin of victory when you uh, were elected to be state attorney? Good evening, Joy, and thank you for having me. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I know it was a lot to a little bit. <laughs> so Ron DeSantis is now replacing you with the person you beat, essentially winning the election far uh, afterward and essentially rerunning the election for the Republican Party. How do you interpret what he's doing? Is this just, you know, a desperate move to get more support from, you know, his supporters who might be a tad anti-black and anti-woman or anti-progressive? What do you think it is? <laughs> So he's not replaced me with the person I beat, but the, one of the individuals that I beat is in second in command in the office now. The individual who he replaced me with, interestingly, is a local judge. And I guess 
Ron DeSantis thinks that if he swaps one black person for another, then that will make the voters happy. So what were you told? What was the notice to you when you were dismissed? I received a call from one of my investigators this morning telling me, reading me basically a notice um, of my removal, telling me that I needed to not come into the office and to return all state property. And Don, Ron DeSantis is sort of framing this for his fans, I'm sure, as some sort of a, an attack on George Soros, who I, I, I don't know if you've ever met George Soros, but you and I Andrew have never Warren, met. He's I not never met your George moves. Soros. <laughs> yeah. So not at all. So yourself and uh, Andrew Warren did receive campaign help from a committee that got money. The, the campaign got money from them. But I used to work for America Coming Together. All our money, most of it came from George, from George Soros. I had never met George Soros either. It just it is a strange way of doing it. But if he can get the word George Soros in, this is the way I think he thinks he's going to help himself politically. Your constituents, have you spoken? I mean, people voted for you, which is why I asked you your margin of victory. I mean, this doesn't feel like democracy to me. If people vote for you, they should have you till the end of your term. When does your term end? My term ends in 2024. So what is your what is your plan now? I know Andrew Warren did sue, but a federal judge, while finding in his favor, said that he couldn't um, reinstate him, that that wasn't something that he had the power to do. Do you plan to sue? So I've assembled the legal team and they are currently reviewing the executive order and we're considering what our legal options are. But, you know, what you said was right on point, Joy. This is an attack on democracy and everyone, Democrat, Republican, independent or otherwise, should be concerned that here in the state of Florida, one person can remove duly elected officials because they are not politically aligned. And and that is exactly what an attack on democracy looks like. We, we did look up um, homicide rates um, in Orange County, Florida. They are down. Um, they're down 18 percent. So if, if his reason for removing you had to do with, with crime and homicides, that doesn't track. Um, and so you're, it doesn't seem that your job approval is the reason. Do you think that the reason had to do specifically with trying to help his presidential campaign, or do you think it was local sort of Florida politics within the Republican Party there? I think it was a combination of many things. Certainly, as you made mention of earlier in your broadcast, his presidential numbers are slipping. He is failing um, at his presidential run. And it's interesting that he's failing to a multi-time indicted individual, right? And even then he can't get ahead in this race. So certainly this move puts him in a place of favor among other political extremists who believe that the whole taking our country back. But let's talk about that. What does it mean to take our country back? Taking it backwards is what he's doing. Taking it backwards to a time where people who look like me don't hold elected political positions. If we want to really talk about what it means to take it back, take it backwards to a time where women didn't have the rights that they have today. Take it backwards to a time where we don't consider the struggles that African-Americans have in this country when we have affirmative action. So that's what taking our country back means. And this is another action towards taking our country back. Another thing that has happened is the emboldenment of law enforcement 
to make the law. They don't just make arrests, but they determine how the law is enforced, even though they're not attorneys, even though they're not trained in the law. He has emboldened them to be the deciding factor on what charges are appropriate and what outcomes, what sentences are appropriate. And that is exactly contrary to how the system is designed to work. And ultimately, Joy, if we look at what's happening here, all of the blue counties in the state of Florida are having their democratically elected officials removed. And that is because this is all about politics. He is weaponizing politics so that he can have a, a gains in the polls for his failed presidential campaign. It is. Uh, I, I have also noted that he is targeting blue counties that did not want him and did not vote for him and replacing their leaders with his own chosen apparatchiks. That is duly noted. State Attorney Monique Warrell, thank you very much. And we will be watching what you do next. And we'll be right back. That's tonight's readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.